0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It's lovely to be with you. Uh, from what Gary was saying earlier, I wasn't sure whether you actually wanted a sermon this morning really. So I'm quite glad because I'm, I'm actually really excited about what, uh, what God's put on my heart for you this morning. So I'm quite glad actually that we're going to have a sermon this morning. And, uh, and Barbara, can I book you for next Sunday to give our notices? <laughs> Please. Brilliant. Genius. Absolutely genius. I'm telling you, you can come every week and give the notices at K Street. Definitely. Uh, But it's really good to be with you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I know that Richard is... uh, I think Richard's at Weir today, and um, Ashley's at K Street, and the ministers are just about in the valley, really, and it's just brilliant to be with you. Absolutely wonderful. So thank you for your warm welcome. If you could turn uh, in your Bibles, please, to, uh, as as Gary has already indicated, uh, to Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus teaches about salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And we give thanks to God for his word to us, for the freedom that we have to read it. And may we never, ever take that for granted. When you uh, when you hear the expression... Uh, he or she is the salt of the earth. What comes to mind when you hear that phrase? Oh, she's the salt of the earth or he's the salt of the earth. What sort of things come to mind when you hear that? They're good people. Yeah, they're good. They do good things. Anything else? Kind. Kind, Yes, thank you. Integrity. Yeah, fantastic word. Integrity. Yes, any, anything else? Reliable. Brilliant. So we have reliable, good, integrity. Because I actually believe that in every single person, there is a God-given gift, a God-given desire to want to make a difference. That our lives, the way that we live our lives, the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we act, that we actually make a difference in people's lives. And when my time comes... I can't speak for you, but I hope this is true of you as well. When my time comes, when God calls me home, I hope that there will be at least one person, at least one person, who says that my world is brighter. My life has been better. I have been more informed, better educated. My family are better because Matt walked the earth, because Matt walked this planet. And I'm sure, and in fact, I know there will be people who will say the same thing about you. That when God calls you home, yes, she made a difference. He made a difference. He made my life better. She made my life better. I found Jesus because of him, because of her. Because there's something deep rooted in us. And when we hear that phrase, you are the salt of the earth, guess what? It's not original to us. A carpenter's son said it over 2,000 years ago, and we just heard those words read to us this morning. You are the salt of the earth. And it's not just about, or all of those things are just incredibly important, integrity, being good. But when Jesus uses this expression, it's about those things and a whole lot more. And I hope that at the end of this time together, we will leave this place thinking, yeah, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to be. Or I need to work on these areas. Or I need to do this more. You see, to understand what being the salt of the earth means, we need to understand that salt in those days in early ancient Israel, it it was so highly prized. It was so important. You see, because they discovered that it was a preservative. So it stopped food from getting corrupted and rotten. And they used it in times of famine. So this wasn't just something, oh, let's just keep my food fresh for an extra week. This was a matter of life and death. Because when those times came, and when food was scarce, and there was a famine, they found that they could use salt to keep their food ripe and healthy. And it meant the difference between life and and death. They also discovered that it was a purifying agent, which means it fought against bacteria. So they used it in those kind of ways. And also they discovered that on our tongues, there are taste buds which actually respond positively to salt. And so in all those ways, it became highly prized. Highly prized. In fact, Plato said that salt was dear to the gods. Homer said that it was a divine substance. It was prized stuff. And so Jesus comes to his motley crew. I just feel in such good company when I kind of line myself up against them. Because I've got mixed up, muddled up motives sometimes. I don't get it right. And Jesus comes to them and he says, guess what? You're the salt of the earth. I am going to use you to convey my gospel of grace and forgiveness and hope. All those things that we've been singing about this morning. And it's going to come through you. It's going to come through you. And in 2010, 21st century culture, it comes through me and it comes through you. What a staggering thought. That God would use us to go into a world that I believe is corrupt. A world that is decaying and bring the hope and the life and the love and the flavour and the grace of God. And that's what we're called to do. But you know what? There's a sobering thought about that. Do you notice that salt doesn't exist for its own sake? How many of you are going to go home at lunchtime and say, oh, I fancy a bowl of salt? How many of you? Not many. You might go home and say, oh, a nice bit of vegetable soup or tomato soup and you'll have your bread or you might have a roast dinner. But not one single person in this room will say, oh, do you know what? I fancy a bowl of soup. A bowl of salt would be lovely because it doesn't exist for its own sake. Its own role in life is to empty itself and flavor the food that we have. You know, we're not just here to put on meetings. We're not here just to sing songs, as great as they are. We're here to permeate the world with the love and the grace of Christ. There's a story that I always tell at Alpha, okay? I am... when we run Alpha at K Street, I usually get the second session, why did Jesus die? Okay, And there's a story that I use um, that, that actually kind of highlights why did Jesus die. A story about Ernest Gordon and the miracle of the River Kwai, about when they had to build a railway through the jungle in Thailand, and how, like, you know, because he was a, an army officer and he was captured, a prisoner of war camp. Okay, and the the Japanese, and they and they built this railroad through under you know intense heat, intense persecution. They were treated awfully, and the story that I tell, and there's something else that I found out, and I discovered this only a short while ago, and it absolutely blew my mind. It's the story of a, a work detail that had just finished for the day. Okay, and as the guards were counting up the shovels at the end of the day. They thought that one shovel was missing. And so this guard was working up a rage and a fury. And he was ranting up and down like this in front of the work detail like this. And he had a rifle in his hand. And, and in screaming in broken English, he said, who stole the shovel? Who stole the shovel? Someone stolen the shovel to sell it to the Ties." And he was ranting and working himself up in such a fury. Everyone just stood motionless. And he said, all will die, all will die. And he went to the end of the line and he cocked his rifle to pull the trigger. He was going to blow away every single person in that work detail in that line. Eventually, one soldier stepped forward and stood to attention. And he said, it was me. I did it. The guard came over to him and unleashed all, and it, all his hate and his anger. And he continued to beat him. And then he cocked his rifle, the the the, the kind of the, the barrel, and he hit it over his head. And the soldier lang, uh, um limped so sort of sli- to the ground. And he sank to the ground limply. And he continued to beat him and kick him. Even though he knew he was dead. When the guards got back to the office. They discovered no shovel was missing. And the bit that I find incredible about this story, that I only discovered a short time ago, it's in one of Philip Yancey's books, was the fact that when the rest of that work detail got back to their barracks, someone quoted from John 15:13, "Greater love has no man than this, that he should give." His life for his friends. And apparently that whole camp changed. Prisoners started treating other prisoners with respect. The strong started to help the weak. They started giving funerals for people and started marking the graves with a cross. And Ernest Gordon, who was left in what they called the death house, which was just a shack, which they just threw you in there to die. Some of the other soldiers went in, pulled him out, nursed his wounds, cleaned him up and they started a little church in that camp. And they started growing medicinal plants for healing for people. They started church services and even when the liberating armies came in, you think they'd take their revenge on the guards for the way that they treated them. No, they treated them with grace and love and forgiveness. All because one man stepped forward, became salt and light, took on that mantle, followed his saviour and said it was me. Everything changed. You see, everything can change through one person who gets hold of what God says to us. Everything can change. I'm praying that the Rossendale Valley will be different. I'm praying that our communities will be different, that our schools will be different, that our families will be different, that our homes, our workplace will be different. And you know how that will come about? By me and you being sort and light. It's not going to happen any other way. Because Jesus didn't intend it to happen any other way. As I said a few moments ago, we're not here to put on extra services, great as they are. We're not here to sing extra songs, great as they are. We're here to meet together, to encourage one another, and then to go out there and to be salt and light in the communities and bring something of the flavour and the grace of God. And that's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege. Um, John Altberg, who, who used to uh, teach at, at Willow Creek. I don't know how many of you uh, have heard of, of John Altburg. John um, but when he start, when he went from Willow Creek to Menlo Presbyterian Church, okay, uh, in 2004, I think it was, he'd only been there a short while, and he discovered from one of his house group leaders, right, this is just amazing, it's a true story, he discovered from one of his house group leaders that someone within their group had said, now John's arrived, this is what we want our church to be. This is what we want our church to look at. Now you've had um, Richard here for a few uh, few months now, haven't you? He's been here. He's got his, he's got his slippers under the table, hasn't he? Now he's, let's let's sort of compare this list, okay? Let's see how we get on. See how you th- what you think about this list. This is what they wanted for John Altberg. Here's the culture that we're up against. Live in good health. Have a long life. Be slim and physically fit and toned. Have great hair, that's me in trouble, make-up and body shape, be intelligent, articulate and computer savvy, get into a good school, do well in school, be popular, sexually desirable without being promiscuous. Pursue all our gifts and talents to the point of mastery. Marry a Christian who has met all these criteria. Communicate, have romance. Share chores, have date nights. Have a beautiful home with walls painted with this year's cool colours. Clean, well decorated, organised, gourmet, low-fat meals. Low-carb, high-protein, baby food from scratch. Beautiful landscaping, kids that are cute healthy, smart, well-behaved, get into the right schools, escape all danger of peer culture, but still be well-liked and popular. Do ministry, be wise, respected, have quiet times, be a prayer warrior, a Bible student, rich without being snotty, confident but not abrasive, humble, spiritual, create family traditions with holidays, beautiful and meaningful, raise children in the faith and don't damage them physically. Deep friendships, extended family relationships, write letters, remember birthdays, anniversaries, send gifts, keep in touch with old friends, come to Bible study. Be relaxed, friendly and easygoing. Can you believe that? How's Richard doing? <laughs> How's he doing? That's what they wanted John Altberg to achieve through their church. A certain group. Do you see? When we buy into this culture, it can so easily seep into the church as well. You know, I believe the church is a lifeboat station and we've turned it into a yacht club. It's a lifeboat station. It's there to rescue people. The church is the only organisation that exists for the benefit of those outside its group. You know, as you look at a list like this, yeah, I do want our kids to have the best of education. But be it in, in a grammar school, being it a comprehensive school, it doesn't matter for me as long as they're getting the best for where they are, the way God's made them and God's created them. You know, it's almost like we've got that list out of Cosmopolitan or Vogue magazine instead of from Scripture. We're a lifeboat station. We're a hospital. You know, you mentioned, I always find it so moving when I come to other churches and and people pray for those in the fellowship because we've got those at K Street who are sick. We've got one at the moment who is dying and we think she might only have about four or five weeks to live. And we're just crying out to God for her, that he might heal her. But we don't know whether God will choose to do it at this time. You know, I find that such a privilege. That's what we're about. We're about, we're a hospital. We're a lifeboat station. And we're called to be the salt of the earth. You know, Jesus goes on and there's like a sobering warning here. He says this, If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And when we buy into this culture, this fast-moving, kind of pluralistic culture where everything is up for grabs and, and we choose this and we choose that and we reject the big story that is Christianity, I believe we're asking for trouble. We really are. And I can just see us heading that way. But it's almost like, you know, you know like the pick-and-mix section that you get at the cinema? You know, if if any of you have seen those, because I quite like the pick and mix section, I love having sweets and things like that, I know they're not good for me, but you've got so much choice, so much choice. Oh, what do I go for, what do I go for? It's almost like Christianity is part of pick and mix these days. Oh, well, I might have a bit of this, I might have a bit of that. God's people are called to be salt and light, to bring his truth and his grace into a world that needs to hear it. You know what? It's contagious. You get salty, it's contagious. You read through the book of Acts, those religious leaders thought, I oh, know we can stop this, we'll put them in prison. Guess what? The prisons started to get salty. And then they thought, I oh, know what we'll do, we'll scatter them, we'll persecute them. Guess what? The whole of Asia Minor started to get salty. And then Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth have started to get salty because God's people, men, women, boys and girls said, yeah, I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ and I'm going to let my light shine. And the world starts to get salty. It does. It does. Through me and through you. You're praying for your community here at Lum. What a privilege it is as a church for you to serve this community, be sought and light, and to see the healing of God come to this community. What do you think God can do with a church who says, "God, whatever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, I will do it for you"? Things will change. This valley will change. Jesus said, "I have come." that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And what are we going to do about that? we Are going to be salt and light? Or are we going to buy into that list and have this and have that and look a certain way and have your hair designed in a certain way, wear certain clothes, look the path? I don't believe God is interested in that, as great as that might be to do that. He's interested in our heart. And he's interested in us being sort and light in our communities. Do you remember one, one person stood forward. One person stood up and that whole camp was changed because one man became sort and light and modeled his life on Jesus. And I pray that we might do the same. So God bless you folks. I'm praying for you. I pray that God will grow you spiritually, grow you numerically. Pray that you'll be literally bursting at the seams with people coming in. But not just just people who come to be part of a crowd, but followers. Followers of Jesus Christ who take up their cross and become salt and light for him. So may God bless you as you continue to serve him. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it is to serve you. No amount of money or possessions come close. Thank you that you've called us by name. That you've saved us in Jesus Christ. That you've buried our sins in the deepest sea and you've given us a life to live with you. And hope eternal And into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. And that's ours to look forward to. But Father, you also call us to be salt and light in this world, in this community, in this place at Lum Baptist Church. Father, thank you for my brothers and my sisters here. Thank you for their heart, for their passion, for their desire to serve you. Lord, would you bless them. Would you anoint their words, their lives. May their actions be seasoned with grace and truth. And may you grow this church, Lord. Grow it spiritually, grow it numerically, so that it might be a shining light for you. And Lord, where there are people who are struggling, Lord, may your spirit rest upon them and give them peace. Father, thank you. And we pray for Richard. And we pray for his family and we thank you for his ministry here. And continue to pray your blessing upon him. And for everything that's going on with the house and the mortgage and trying to get all that sorted. Lord, have your way so that Jesus might be honoured in this place. So continue to bless this church and all who serve her. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.